Welcome to the CPTA podcast. On July 18th, we recorded a video dialogue with Lindsay Durand, Kelly Quigley, and APTA staff, Judy Blodgett, on the topic of the APTA centennial celebrations and professional history. Here's that discussion. Welcome everyone. My name is Lindsay Durand. I use she, her pronouns, and I am the Director of Communications for the Student Assembly Board of Directors. Welcome to APTA Student Night. And tonight we are going to be talking about celebrating our professional history. So for those who don't know, 2021 is 100 years of APTA and the physical therapy profession. So tonight we have our APTA historian as well as our student centennial representative here to discuss the development of APTA over the last 100 years and what the future of physical therapy has to offer. So tonight we are joined by Dr. Kelly Quigley and Ginny Blodgett Burchett, our APTA historian. And I will give our guests an opportunity to introduce themselves in just a minute and give a bit of their background before we begin. But for everyone tuning in live, go ahead and introduce yourself in the comments. Tell us where you are in your schooling process, if you are a PT, PTA, where you go to school. And if you're an APT member, tuning in live. We'd love to hear how long you've been a part of this organization. If you'd like to spread the word about tonight's event, tell people what you think and continue this conversation. Use the hashtag APTA Live. Additionally, if you don't follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at APTA Students and on Facebook and Instagram at APTA Student Members. And if you have any questions throughout the discussion, feel free to drop them in the comments and we'll be sure to do our best to make sure we answer it. And we'd love to hear your thoughts throughout too, so don't be shy, especially as we are discussing our history and everything APTA has been through over the last 100 years. So let's go ahead and get to know tonight's guests. And so let's start with Dr. Kelly Quigley. Kelly, can you give us a little bit of an introduction and tell us about your role as the Centennial Student Representative? Hi, everyone. My name is Kelly. Quigley. I just recently graduated in May from Thomas Jefferson University and in the next few weeks I'm going to be starting a pediatric residency at Vanderbilt. Um, um, my role as the Centennial student representative is there are a bunch of different representatives from every state, um, different subgroups as well. The student assembly and I just kind of work as a liaison between the group of Centennial reps, as well as the student assembly to plan events like these, kind of promote the Centennial and also plan service events as well. Awesome. And Ginny, our APTA historian, do you think you could give us a little bit of an introduction? Tell us about your role within APTA and how long you've, you've been with APTA. Well, thank you. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm Ginny Blodger Burchett. I've been at APTA uh, since January of 2022, 20, 20, I'm sorry, 2002. So I'm coming up on my 20 years with the association. I work on a variety of evidence projects usually, but one of my areas that I've been foc focusing on the last few years, especially is the history of the association. And that goes back to, as we discussed earlier with the beginning of the centennial, it goes back to 1921. So um, I'm the um, librarian, we're one of two on staff that will help you, can help you if you have history questions or a variety of other types of, of evidence questions. Awesome. Well, thank you both for joining us. We will go ahead and get started uh, with our questions. And again, if anyone has questions throughout tonight's event, feel free to drop them in the comments and we'll do our best to answer them. So Ginny, can you give us a little bit of a, a background on how APTA was founded back in 1921 and Certainly. what led to that initial meeting in New York City? The, the World War One. the association is based um, the, well, let's go. Let's go back to the profession. The profession started with the development of medicine in, in a wartime setting, and after the Civil War, there was an abundance of uh, there was a large amount of of um, care provided on the battlefield, 
And a lot of people came, a lot of soldiers came off the field with um, uh, multiple wounds. They survived multiple wounds, which was one of the first wars where really people were surviving. And so when World War I started, the, um, when that was ramping up, a variety of um, physicians who specialized in rehabilitation and um, what was today called phys physiatry, they realized the value of having someone, um, having a medical specialist or healthcare specialist tend to the, tend to the wounded. So that only could they repair, uh, restore motion and repair um, any kind of wound that the individuals received on the field, but also that they could go back to the battlefield if they had to, because there was a shortage of, um, of, of men. So um, the profession, our profession started really with World War I, where they ramped the Surgeon General of the U.S. Army. He called in um, a lady named Marguerite Sanderson, to, who was the head of a college up in Boston, um, and she was the one that's supposed to run the program. And she was the one to get it going, getting the, what we know as reconstruction aids. And there were three types of reconstruction aids. There were one for physical therapy, there was one for occupational therapy, and one for dietitians. And um, our focus is, of course, the physical therapy. And she brought in who we know today as our founder, Mary McMillan, to run the physical therapy program. And Mary, um, or really to train the physical therapists, and that's our core group of physical therapists in the United States. Mary had received her training in in England, uh, and she had actually tended to soldiers there. She was used to dealing with battlefield um, or you know battlefield uh, wounds. So she um, she came when she came back to the states because she was originally from the United States. She came back uh, to the states and got involved in healthcare up in New England, and these physiatrists that wanted to develop the physical therapy program knew her, knew of her, knew of her skills. So that's, Mary is the impetus, Mary is the one who spurred everything forward. She's very driven. And when World War I wrapped up, and they realized that the, everyone realized that they had to have the profession continue, because you had soldiers who still had wounds that needed, needed health assistance. You had, um, um, there were going to be future wars. They knew they were pretty certain about that. And then you also had um, people that people in the general population that needed needed um, care. And up to that time, really, people had only been trained. The the healthcare um, healthcare didn't really have a specialty in physical therapy. They had they had a, a degree in physical education, and that's where a lot of these ladies came from. They are either nurses or physical um, education uh, physical um, PE physical educations specialists. So Mary realized that she would probably have to be the driving force. I mean, she went out, she had been the one, one of the driving forces to take, to spur on uh, the larger training groups. During World War I, she had been the one to uh, make sure people had the right education and training. And she worked with the military to ensure that they had all that. So after, when the World War I ended, Mary realized, and along with these other uh, physiatrists, she realized that they had to have a professional association. And they had tried to send out ballots, uh, not ballots, so much like letters, and she was working with people trying to, to encourage them to um, want an association, to participate in an association, to spur the profession forward. Because the profession really had just started and nobody really wanted it to go away. So Mary, kept going at it and she they they tried i think in in 1920 they tried to have some kind of meeting but they couldn't they couldn't get everyone to agree on on the development of the association or an association and then i'm not entirely sure and i have to go back through the history books to verify this but in, when they tried again they tried a second time to encourage people to come and they scheduled they said we're going to have a meeting people responded and it looked like there was positive. So a meeting was sent for January 15th, 1921 at Keene's Chop House in New York City. And today that restaurant um, is known as Keene's Steakhouse and you can still have dinner there if you wanna see where they met. And um, you can go in and they, they, they decided rather quickly in that meeting that they wanted an association, that they wanted the profession to move forward. So 
that's how it started. They didn't have an elections at the meeting. They uh, appointed committees. And then from that point forward, you have the association that's called the organizational meeting. And this year we, we had a celebration on Founders Day, um, an electronic, electronic celebration, but we had a celebration on Founders Day. And um, so they were, everything spurred from there. And then with a very few short months, they had a new journal, they had elections, they held national elections. They wrote a constitution and bylaws. They um, ramped up, they pulled together all these chapters that had been meeting uh, or state organizations or regional organizations had been meeting on their own and they kind of pulled them into the association. So there was a core group already there to become members. So it kind of wordy, sorry, but it's, it's pretty much how it started. It was kind of everything, 1920, I don't know what, why it didn't gel better, but 1921 was like, boom, 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 boom. And it was done. I love that. I think that was just, it's such a fun story to hear about how our profession was founded. Like I'm someone who is so passionate about physical therapy to, so to see a hundred years ago, someone equally as passionate uh, who was able to just say like this need exists and we need to move from here is, I mean, it's just so inspiring. Kelly, what are your thoughts? Same here. It's so interesting to me. I didn't know that in the beginning it was supposed to happen in 1920 and then got delayed and then finally everything came together a year later. So it's just so interesting to me how like one year change and everything came together in 1921. Yeah. Yeah, they were very so determined. Going, I don't... Go ahead. Oh, no, it's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, that's, I just think they were very everything seemed to gel in 1921 and they were ready. I think the ladies were ready and it was mainly ladies. Then there wasn't was very few gentlemen, though there were male reconstruction aides um, in the, in the U S army. So, uh, but the very, very few and um, everything seemed to work rather rapidly. And, you know, the first journal issue was 16 pages and they held it to, um, post the election, the results of the national election. I think the national, the results for the election weren't until like uh, middle to second to third week of March. So they had to rush and the issue was dated January to March. So they had to rush to the printers to get it, to get it printed and mailed out to the membership. And um, it, it had everything in it. it and you, if you look at the first issue now, which you can, you can go onto the physical therapy and rehabilitation journal website and you can see the first issue right there loaded online. All you do is log in and see it. You can you can see what they did in that very short period of time. Things that would take months, it seems like it would take months today, were done in a rare, you know, within a few months, well, more than a few months now. But I mean, they did it without, they didn't have electronics, they didn't have email, you know, they didn't have any of the social media we have to get the word out. They had to rely on the postal service, you know, so. And dues were $2 the first year. Well, that's definitely changed. <laughs> well, kind of going back to, you just mentioned reconstruction aids. Our next question kind of plays off of that. So how did the role of reconstruction aid transform into the role of physical therapist? And are there any specific differences between the two roles? Well, the, the profession developed um, from the time it started in the 20s to um, uh, to present. I mean, if you look at it, you look at the profession, every wartime um, war interaction we had pushed the physical therapy ahead tremendously um, in skills and knowledge and um, uh, possibilities. I think that would be a good way of putting it. Um, Again, people were surviving. They had to come up with a solution to take care of the wounded, um, and and then have them actually either have them come home or go back into the battlefield. So, if you look at you look at how the profession is developed, you know, in, in 1920, I think they changed 1926. They no longer called them reconstruction aides. They called them. They started to be calling physical therapy technicians, and. Um, they were more than technicians. They they actually did, were very hands on, and they really they were you know 
now we think of technicians as more being like an, an aide or something, but they really still have the same presence and the same hands-on skills and the knowledge, um, you know, that, that they started with. But if you look at that, you look at from beginning to now, your educational requirements are much stronger. Um, they had, I, I for, forgive me for forgetting the exact, well, exact length of time they had training, but I, I want to say it was like eight to 13 weeks, but I can look that up and report back to you guys the exact number. Um, and you can look that up. There's another resource called the Army Medical Specialists. Um, it's a history of the Army Medical Specialist Corps. And, and you, you can look at the educational requirements they had at that time. And it was it was pretty broad and it's not entirely different than what you're doing now, but what students are seeing now. But of course, now you're getting a more intense knowledge presented to you and you have hands on experience. Whereas there they didn't get hands on experience till they were actually out in the field. And in the clinic. So um, trying to think. So everything developed over time. If you look. The occupational therapists were in the same kind of situation the physical therapists were. They started a little bit before. They had a national organization a few years before we did. Um, I think four, four years. I think they started in uh, 1917. So they had the same issue that we did of developing a, an association. And the, so, uh, the, I think the one thing, if you look back in, into the history, you can see that Mary McMillan, the founder, was very insistent that physical therapists, only physical therapists, who had been trained that would conduct physical therapists. It wasn't in, it wasn't interchangeable with another healthcare practitioner. So that that you can see there uh, the very beginning um, that they wanted to be taken seriously and that they wanted um, they wanted to show what they could do. And um, if you go back and look, you'll, you know, you go back and look at some of the reporting in the old newspapers from the 20s and 30s, you'll see a lot of coverage on, on uh, physical therapy, on people returning from the war, having physical therapy. And um, anyway, so I'm kind of wandering here with this, but, you know, they started and then it's much more advanced now. So I think you probably would have been delighted to have, the students probably would have been delighted to have like a four month program, you know, back in the 1920s. It would but definitely some, help with the student yeah, loans. <laughs> four months. And that was sponsored by the military. So I'm not, I'm not aware there was a fee for that. You had to apply and get accepted, but you were mil you were a military. You you were um you were working for the US Army when you did that when the Reconstruction Aid started. And then it branched out to other uh, other military branches by World War II. So um Salaries were very low then. Salaries are much better now. It's all commensurate with the time periods and expenses. Um, I think the uh, military-wise, the the physical therapists now have much better benefits than they did back in the twenties and even into the thirties and forties. They didn't have a lot of uh, privileges, uh, you know, benefit-wise. So the profession has definitely gone from being. Um, the new child on the block to something that's much more professional and advanced, more scholarly too with research. The research was just starting then. If you look at the journal, you'll see more like case studies and case reports. And now you see actual research articles and that you can see the changes. If you look at the journal website and you go in, you can see the changes over the decades of how that progressed. They were trying to educate themselves. They were reading other, they were had, um, they had article reviews where they were trying to go in and report on, on um, new developments in the profession. They were trying to educate each other. They were having meetings on the local level and national, they had a national meeting once a year where they could go in and meet and talk and see how the, and say how the profession was going to move forward. So um, very early on, it was, it was a seriously professional decision. And it was a very professional group that they, they, started. They wanted to learn, they wanted to advance, and they wanted to promote and to advance. They wanted to learn, they wanted to promote the profession and learn and develop the profession. It wasn't just like we're, we're here. It was it, Physical therapy has never been static. If 
if you look, you go back into the history, it's always been advancing. You had the development of polio, which was even going on during World War One. Uh, you had smaller, pan, like a, it was a, became a pandemic, but you had a um, you had regional cases where people had tremendous um, uh, patients with tremendous number of patients with polio. And they had to figure out how to take care of that, and that was all new. That all kind of was going on at the same time World War One started, and they had to figure out a way to take care of the patients, and that was through physical. Um, motion. Yeah, I think you brought up a lot of really great points about the history of APTA and the, the fact that the physical therapy profession has consistently been advancing. It's never been a static profession. Over the past 100 years, what part of that APTA history do you think was important for, for shaping our profession to what it is today? What have been kind of the significant events along the last 100 years? I'm sure there's a lot of them. We have a hundred of them on the video uh, <laughs> website. We did a hundred, hundred plus milestones, which I would love to refer people to. Uh, Centennial.apta.org. You can go look, check out the timeline. Uh, you know, I, as I, I kind of said earlier, that the, the profession really develops through um, war action, war activities. Um, you have the need, and the need is met. They try to strive to meet the need. And then you have the case with polio where there was um, a huge demand for care and practitioners who knew how to, to take care of patients with polio. So again, the need, the, the need you know, was there and physical therapy had to find a way to meet it. So we've always been a profession of challenges. You know, we've had a challenge, we've had to meet it and we've moved, you know, and then we have to move forward. So um, if you look at the earlier part of the uh, 20th century, that's pretty much the scenario. It's only really into uh, later, and there, there were practitioners who were into wellness and prevention, but the focus really was on meeting a, a defined need. And then you move forward more now, I'd say 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and into the 21st century, you have more of a, um, focus on prevention and wellness. That's just me. That's not, that's just my overview. Um, but, and I'm sure there are other people out there who can um, have more to offer on that. But, um, and it's, we have a new history book out, which is available through the APTA store. Cause I'm making a plug. We were very, we were, we worked really hard on that. And then um, you have the timelines. I think that those two resources can really give you the scope and breadth of, of what the profession has done. Yeah, if you haven't checked out that APTA Centennial timeline, I highly recommend that you do. There is so much history in there, so much that you can learn about APTA. Um, and it's just fun. It's fun to like look back and see things that we have on file. Like Jenny mentioned, you can go back and read like the original journal. Um, from APTA. And I mean, it's really incredible just to see all of the history, everything that we've done throughout the last 100 years. And APTA has done a fantastic job of compiling that website and giving a very fun and interactive timeline to go through. Kelly, have you seen it yet? Yes. Um, I kind of helped use it to come up with some questions for tonight and also just kind of learn because I feel like that's not something that we really talk about in school. So it's great that, that we have that resource to look at online. Absolutely. We're gonna take a quick break here for a couple announcements and then we'll get back to our questions here. So core ambassador applications are open for over 25 states. And so if you are interested in serving as a core ambassador, we have an upcoming event with our vice president, Sydney Newman to discuss what uh, the court ambassador role is, as well as to answer any questions you may have as serving as your state's court ambassador. So head to APTA Engage to check that out, sign up for the event or to apply to be your state's court ambassador. Additionally, the APTA Student Assembly Network for the 2021 House of Delegates is open. You can join that again on APTA Engage, join the conversation, learn more about APTA House of Delegates and get involved in some of the conversations surrounding the motions coming up for this year's House of Delegates. Additionally, House ushers 
are open for students. So there are 18 spots available for students to be ushers at the 2021 House of Delegates. So if that's something you're interested in participating in and learning more about House, House of Delegates, that is a great opportunity for students. Additionally, if you are interested in checking out any of our past APTA student socials, you can do so on our YouTube channel. We just had one last Sunday with Dr. Ashley Johnson talking about finding your niche within physical therapy. So be sure to check out our past APTA student socials and join us for our upcoming ones. We will go ahead and bring our guests back and we will continue the conversation. So we did have a couple questions from guests in the audience. Um, Ginny, can you tell us a little bit of history on the Student Assembly Board of Directors and its I, I know that we're coming up on a big anniversary of the of students, um, the student membership creation when it was you know, when it was added to the bylaws. And I've started working on that, but I haven't gotten very far into that yet. So I apologize. That's not one of my strengths on the association history but I will be happy to um, pull something together and get it to you all. Uh, I have started kind of like a timeline of it, but right now I just remember that um, I know we're coming up on an anniversary in the next few years, what I would call a five and 10 anniversary. Um, and I wanna say students, students started becoming members, well, this student membership I want to say 1948, but I have to check. I, I don't want to lead you all astray on that one. That's a long so. time. I believe the Student Assembly Board of Directors, I think we're coming up on like the leadership roles. I think we're coming up on 30 years for that. I think that was founded in 91, if, mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. But that's a long I time. Can, I can do some research for you and send it to you all so you can you guys can report it out. Absolutely. All right, Kelly, I'll pass it off to you for the next question. Yeah, there was another comment actually um, about PTAs. So I guess that kind of goes right into our next question about how and when the role of a physical therapy assistant or PTA was originally created. That one's a little easier. We did a timeline on that a few years ago. Um, and uh, I have to admit, once things, are, once projects are off my desk, they kind of go out of my brain, but I, um, know that we did it a few years ago and the um, PTAs had been talked about the, they had an assistant role had been talked about going back several decades and, and no, no action was taken on it. And I think that was probably because the PTs were still trying to settle their own roles. And that, that's, again, that's me, not anything official. And, so then you can, so the peak, when the, the Medicare was developed in the 60s, it became very important. There was a new um, patient base or funding available. They had to have care providers that could meet the need. And they, and the PTA was, um, there was, oh, let me step back a second. There was a, a vocational legislation being pushed in the Congress back in the 60s after the Medicare legislation was passed, I want to say in 65. So it was so like it kind of all gelled again at the same time. We're very good at that. So everything kind of gelled around the same time when the legislation passed and Lyndon Johnson pushed it forward. Um, then you had um, the discussions at APTA and the House got a little more intense. And then the schools started having their first um, uh, programs ramping up, I want to say in 67, 1967. So, and then the first class graduated in 69. And oh, that's right. That was it. That was the anniversary. So 50 years of the PTA graduates. So 20, 2019 was the 50th anniversary of the graduates. So, um, and as to the individual act, um, activities they do, you know, a lot of that's determined, what their education is determined um, in their accreditation role and the school's accreditation roles. And um, I'm going to step into the unknown if I keep talking like that. So again, I can find out more information for you, but we do have a, we do have a nice um, timeline, which I can give you a PDF of 
if you want to share it with the students. We had it on the website for a while. Um, and it's, it has the dates and the major dates and the photos. And if you need more information, I can go back and give you um, uh, probably a few hundred line long spreadsheet with all the dates. So. Yeah, we can absolutely do that. That I think some people might be interested in, in yeah. learning a little bit more. Jenny, what has been your favorite part of APTA history? Like going back, looking at the past 100 years, what's been your favorite? Well, that's going to be pretty hard because I've been immersed in APTA history for the last two and a half years. I mean, I've always had a little bit of history projects thrown at me. Like members call in and are looking for details or, but um, with the time, with the website being developed and then we've done various timelines and then we, we we're doing the book. Um, uh Oh, I can't say it. It's too many. There's too many in there. I, I mean, I'm very fond of Mary. Mary was Mary was pretty, you know, outgoing. Think about it. She had advanced training in 1910, 1920s. There weren't a lot of women who had advanced educational degrees, right? I mean, there. And then uh, the whole core, the Reconstruction. Yeah, I have to say it's the Reconstruction age because they they were very um, forward thinking and they had already gone out and gotten advanced training. A lot of them had gotten advanced training in nursing or physical education. And that was, a, that was a time when maybe I, I don't want to guess a percentage, but less than 10% of American women had degrees, had college degrees. So I look back at the founding group, the chart, what I would call the charter members. I just think that they're, they had the guts to go, Many of them were deployed overseas in France, and they were not far from the battlefield, the one of the, the battlefields in France. And the fact that they would go and leave their home and leave their comfort zone to do that, I'm just very, I've always been very impressed with them. One of Mary's trainees, her name is Emma Vogel. She, um, she, she was trained by Mary at Reed College out in Oregon, and she went on to... Uh, she worked in the various uh, army hospitals around the country. And then she um, hooked it back up with Mary back in um, Walter Reed general hospital, which is Walter Reed. Now we know now, and she ended up taking over the program from Mary. And from there she led, she moved forward and she led um, physical therapy in the uh, physical therapy in the army into the early fifties. So she went from like, she had, she was involved in that for 30 years. So I think one of the coolest things I think about most of the time is that there really aren't that many levels separating today's students from Mary McMillan. If you go back, okay, there's Mary, then there's Emma. Emma was trained by Mary. And then Mary went off and trained people overseas. And I can't even go into that aspect. I haven't played with that. I haven't researched that aspect as much. But she, she was um, setting up a... Mary was setting up a house, uh, rehabilitation program in China when she was had to come home because of World War II, and she ended up being um, when she was back. When she got back to the Philippines. She never never made it back to the states until she was put in a prisoner of war camp in the Philippines. I mean, these were not these were not average women. These women were feisty. They had a lot of gumption, and um, I think that's that just impresses me. I, I, if, you know, Mary, Mary always gets a lot of attention because she's our founder, but she, she did so much. She's not just our founder. She, she really, she really did spur the profession on and she did it globally and you know, at her own personal risk. So, okay. So let me get back to this, this one thing about the separation. So then you have Mary, then you have Emma and then Emma trained several thousand people, right? And then there are people, um, there are still people alive today that were trained by Emma. And then they went on to education, and they trained. So you really only have maybe five generations between you all. If that, you have five generations between your educators and Mary. How has the education and the, the techniques used by PTs changed in that time? like with those generations, if you can even speak on that. 
I can only do it very generally. Okay. Um, but it, we, you, when the early days they had a limit, like we, we mentioned earlier, they had a limited um, curriculum because they had, they had to get them into the field. They had to get them working at clinics. So they had a very set curriculum. And again, you can look at that at the Army Medical Specialist Corps history. You can look, you can look that up under the physical therapy area. Um, they had that and they had really had limited training going in and, um, in going, moving forward, you had stronger and stronger role, um, educational, uh, curriculum developed. And now, and, and the curriculum keeps developing because the needs change. So, and now you, and you're going, you went from, they went from like a few month program to multi-year. So. I think where it goes from here is where you all want it to go. What you all decide it'll move to. So that's all I can really say. Yeah, the four month thing is so interesting to me, kind of going off of what Gus said in the comments, it's my last clinical experience was 16 weeks, which is four months. So it's just interesting to think like that was the entire PT curriculum back then was my last clinical. So it's just yeah. interesting to think of it that way. But um, over the past decade, kind of like what you've been saying, we've seen education transform from bachelor's to master's to doctorate. Do you foresee any changes um, at the academic level in the future? I imagine there will be. Um, people specialize now more, and there are several thousand, tens of thousands of clinical specialists. Um, and that requires a certain level of education and experience. So I, and we have, uh, you have the clinical residencies now, which you didn't have years ago. So um, I, I think it depends on what, how the profession develops. And then of course the profession will meet the need and then that will change education. How has the profession changed in response to the COVID-19 pandemic? What have you guys seen in terms of APTA history over the past year and a half? People are more readily adapting to telehealth and tele-rehabilitation. Tele uh, not only are the practitioners, but the patients are getting accustomed to it. Um, and the research so far shows, if you and um, if you, anyone's watching the research right now, it's flying out all over PubMed Central about um, uh, COVID-19 and and uh, care that the practitioners are, are reporting on. Um, it seems that the tele-rehabilitation, tele-rehab tele is, is positive, it's working. Um, patients are happy with it. That's a, newer, that's a newer article that came out a few months ago. So, um, uh, and patients realize that they need, they need physical therapy and maybe they have more time to go get it when they're, when they're, operating from their own home. So I think it's a plus. I think the professional responded great. And the, and the um, patients are, are, me, are, are happy with how the response went. And again, there was a need and this, the profession met the need. There was a demand for something and the profession met it. Absolutely. And I think you see that too in the physical therapists that have been working PTs, PTAs who have been working with COVID-19 patients, either in the hospital, in inpatient rehab, outpatient after, um, you know, they're out of the hospital. I think we're seeing PTs and PTAs kind of stepping up to meet this need that a year and a half ago didn't exist. Um, so I think it, it's another thing for the history books. It'll be interesting to see as, you know, as we continue on how the profession continues to, to meet the need of, of the people. What do you see um, as the future of this profession? Like, where do you see APTA going? You can give your insight. My insight. Well, we have a new building in, in Alexandria, Virginia. Um, it's definitely designed to meet the focus of the association, which is the community and the profession. And you'll see, you've seen physical therapists going out meeting in, into the community, not just for practice, practice, but also for um, societal needs. And I think it's just going to develop from there. I don't have any, I don't have any unique foresight. I'm more of a retrospective person. I can see, read everything and kind of synthesize it. But I, I, you know, 
I think physical therapy is a wonderful profession. It's been um, wonderful to work with everybody and um, all the physical therapists the last 20 years. And I, I just see people wanting to know more. Like when they ask me a research question or how to do this or, or how can I find this or what can I, you know, what can I do to do this better? I, I just see physical therapists always trying to improve themselves, improve their skills um, for their patients. And I just, been very impressive to watch and um, be a part of minimally. And um, I just, I'm very excited for the profession. I think it's going to be, you have a great future ahead of you. You can, you can make the profession whatever you want it to be. I think that's extra important to emphasize with all of our students who may be tuning in that we really do have the opportunity to make the profession, whatever we want to be. And you know, th this is our chance, whether you're a student wanting to get involved, this is your first event with APTA, or, you know, you've been involved for years and you're now tuning in to learn more about APTA. We really do have the opportunity to, to advance the profession and make it whatever we want it to be. Definitely. And kind of going off about how people can tune in to learn more, what are some things about the APTA past or present that people may not know? Oh, well, this is my fun thing that I, I, I like to tell people. This is like a really eclectic thing that we found out, that I found out we digitized the governance records in the last few years. And then by that, I mean the House of Delegates and the Board of Directors papers. And going back, we, you know, we have papers going back to before the association started. So that's how we know about what Mary tried to do in 1920 and things like that. So in 1922, when Mary had to run for re-election, because at that time it was only a one-year one year, um, presidency, um, her former boss ran against her. <laughs> so that was Marguerite, Marguerite Sanderson. She ran against her and her, Marguerite was on the ballot and um, that was Mary's former boss, but Mary, Mary won the second term, so. That's a quirky thing, just something silly. And um, what do people don't, what don't people know? Let's see. Okay, well, we talked a little bit about the journal. The journal's loaded on the association's, um, on the uh, journal's website. And the journal has a new name, Physical Therapy and Rehabilitation Journal, but you can just still type Physical Therapy Journal in Google and it pops right up under our publisher, and our publisher's URL. You can go back and look at all of those and you can see the minutes going back. You can see the beginning of the House of Delegates going back in 1944. You can see why the House was started. I'm not gonna give any spoilers. I'm gonna have you guys do the research yourself. But that's all in the, that's all in the 1943 and 1944 um, annual reports. And, and by annual report, I don't mean like a um, report we know today. The, they used to meet, um, they used to do their year, their program year from meeting to meeting. So they would meet in the summertime. So it would go from like June to June, June to May. So then they would do, the annual reports would be presented at the business meeting at the annual conference. So you can go in and look at those reports and you'll see a whole bunch of information about different things. And then you can see discussions about what people were talking about and, and the minutes. And um, the minutes are pretty detailed, especially the earlier years. Um, but that's kind of fun. Let's see. So, all right. So who, who do you think is the oldest, um, academy or section that we have? Oh, I actually know. Well, I did know this. Oh, shoot. That was one of our trivia questions. Wasn't I it? know we came, we came <laughs> up with this back in January. Kelly and I did trivia on the APTA students social media page. And that was one of the questions. Okay. So um, therapy, I think that would be my guess. They used to meet yeah. at the annual conference in the early 40s as just a group that wanted to get together and talk about similar problems or some similar needs. And so what would be one topic that would always be around? You've asked me several questions about it tonight, education. So... There were two groups that met. They were both education oriented. The, uh, there was one called the school section and they are the ones that won out. The other group kind of dissolved. And so it, um, they were 
they were acknowledged as a section before, I want to say in the early 40s, I want to say 44, but I have to, I'd have to verify that. And um, they're still in existence today. So the education section. Education. So it's the Journal of Physical Therapy Education now. No, I'm sorry. It's the, it's the journal. It's the Academy of Physical Therapy Education. Wow. Yeah, they're the longest running, they're the longest continually running section slash academy. Not what you would expect. No, no. no. I think some people said like orthopedics, which is kind of what I was thinking, but I knew that wasn't right because again, they, that's what everyone expects. Well, what I can do is I can give you a timeline of when all the academy, I can send that to you. Um, I don't have it memorized, but I can send it to you when they, um, when they all started. So you can get an idea. If you're interested in joining one of the academies or sections, you can all, you all can um, get an idea of their history. And then if you want more information, we can go from there. Okay. Absolutely. You kind of mentioned it earlier um, that there were a couple men that were reconstruction aides, but when did men come into the physical therapy profession considering APTA started as a female only or an all women's association, I should say. Well, the ladies, and I, I tend to call them the ladies because it was mainly ladies. But the um, the first year, it was the American Women's Physical Therapeutic Association. And I think that's because the Massachusetts had a group with a very similar name, but it had Massachusetts and they had Boston. And it was a Boston Physical Therapeutic Association, I think. So I think they took that because Mary was from the, the Boston area. And, um, but, but even at that meeting, they were saying that that name was too exclusive, that they wanted to be more inclusive. So by the meeting, the annual meeting um, or business meeting in 1922, they changed the association's name to the um, Physio, American Physiotherapy Association to be more inclusive. So if you look at them, and again, this is in the journal, which you can see on the journal website, if you look at the um, old member lists in the journal, you can see that men were joining and were members by, I want to say by 1923, 23, 24. There, and there were male reconstruction aides, male, yeah, in uh, World War I. And we do have photos of a few of them. They were at Camp Sherman in, um, I want to say, Ohio. That could be Illinois, but at Camp Sherman. And they didn't have uniforms. They had to wear their own civvies. The ladies had, and the ladies made their own uniforms too. They, they were, there was a prescribed uniform though for them, but they had to make them themselves or um, I think at some point stores started making them and selling them, uniform stores. But um, yeah, so that would, that would be one point. So we have two, and I think one of the early male reconstruction aides also was married to a reconstruction aide too. To the female reconstruction mm -hmm. so um but that's the and they're only they're only two that i know of very early on and uh they they and you can't go just by the names because like one of them was his first name was carol c-a-r-r-o-l-l -L. and you can easily take that to be a lady's name so especially back in the 20s so it's hard to tell right and we didn't track um and the member records from that time period are on microfiche and they're very hard to read. Um, and we're, and we're, we're working on that. And um, uh, I think you could probably go in. I don't remember if, I don't think gender was mentioned on the application. The application, the first application was tiny. It was like four lines, had your name, where you worked, you know your address and then they had a little thing in there about paying your paying a two dollar dues so people used to cut them out of the journal issues um and uh send them in so try to think what else what else what else is something somebody doesn't know about the association we think um well What's, un what's unusual about APTA? Oh, why why are our why is teal our color? I have no idea. That is a fantastic I question. No I've, I've never thought about it, and it changed even with the rebranding. It changed slightly, like the tone of the the color. But yeah, why why is that? 
think about your graduation. What was your hood color? It was this like the same similar color teal. Yeah, because when they it was the it was the color left for it was it was one of the colors that hadn't been snagged already by a doctoral program. So and it, I'm sure there were others, but um, yeah, that's what that's why we we've been using teal for a few decades. Um, trying to think. So I have a question for you. What does the logo look like to you? The new logo. That's a good question as well. I'm like, it's like the triangle with the. Yeah. Kind of looks like a ladder. What else might it look like? Your spine. Yeah, like the, the back of it, like all of the vertebra. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it's, it was a triangle is good because we've had logos that were triangular shape since the beginning of the association. Um, even the first journal issue has one as a kind of quirky little, um, um, you know, like, sorry about that. There we are. Triangular shaped um, logo uh, um, symbol. And uh, we wanted that what they, when they talked with, um, when staff talked with focus groups and everything, that was one of the things they wanted to keep was retain was the triangular shape to, to keep the history. But you also have it, you can, it looks like it's moving. And physical therapy is all about movement, right? So. Well, right. I'm loving all these fun facts. I know you said that we have the specific color of teal, but we also have the specific month of October. Do you know when that started and if there's any reason that National Physical Therapy Month is October? It was um, actually started, it used to be in June. And that was, and we just, I just had this question. So this is a little fresher. Uh, it used to be in June and the uh, um, components, actually the state chapters, used to take the lead on it more. They would have events in their home state. They would get the governor to declare it was, um, National Physical Therapy Week. And it started as a week-long celebration, but it was usually um, in June, the same time, around the same time as our annual meeting, annual conference. And then later it split off. They wanted to have them separate so that each could have its own focus. So then it was, it was split off and moved into October. And um, uh, I, I have to do a little more research to find out why October itself was selected. That's, that's also National Medical Librarians Month, which, which is I knew about it first as um, before I knew it was National PT Month. And um, I'd have to find that out why October itself was selected. But uh, it moved to a month long celebration in 93. And you can see that on the on the centennial timeline. We have an, an lo a picture of um, the first image that was used, the first poster. And um, and there's a little, a little bit of a history there too. But how I get, had, go yeah. ahead. No, go ahead. No. I was just going to say, how has membership changed over the past 100 years, like compared to that first year versus versus now, like membership numbers, dues, abilities to join academy sections? The sections started in, we talked a little bit about that. Section started kind of in the 40s, the first ones. Um, the first one, I don't believe the private practice that was, a, that was the first one approved by the house of delegates. And that one was, I want to say in the fifties, early, early to mid fifties. So the sections you see, um, grow, uh, developing as, um, I think more people got interested in that area. Or they they realized they were interested. And they wanted to they wanted to network together and um, you know have colleagues talk with colleagues that were in the same areas they are. The um, chapters have changed. Um, we talked a, a, a sense or two about the fact that it used to be um, before the association developed. There were already groups meeting in regional um, areas, cities usually. Cities are um, parts of states, Northern California, Southern California, um, Texas, Texas had a few. 
Uh, Michigan had a few. Michigan had a Detroit chapter. Um, Boston was the one that I remember with the name. They had, they had association at the end of their name. I remember that. Um, New York had a few regions, um, but mostly the, the groups were in the cities where the hospitals, the military hospitals were, a lot of them. So then um, and you had people and private practice was developing more than two PT um, reconstruction aides then in the 20s into the, um, were working a lot, a lot of times for, um, for orthopedic surgeons in private practice. So then they moved into becoming state entities and they eventually merged into state entities. And that's not, um, that took a few decades for that to transpire. Um, I remember California had a Northern California chapter and a Southern California chapter, and they eventually merged, I want to say in the 50s, 60s. Um, again, I'd have to look that, the dates up. And now you, from this point, from that point forward, you only see state entities, state, state chapters. Um, did I answer all of that? What about total membership within APTA? Membership, the, the first year, I want to say there were like 240 some members, 243 around there. Um, now we're over 100,000. Uh, you can, and um, with, you know, membership has definitely increased from the original 200 some. You can um, see that with um, the, in the history of the, of the country, you can kind of see how the association has boomed um when like when medicare medicare kicked in you, you saw the need more for for physical therapists and then and and then also now for physical therapist assistance and so you can see that moving forward uh, you see more members there uh, the growth i think around the balanced budget act in the in the i want to say 1880 1980s um, 1990, it could have been 1998, somewhere around there. Uh, membership declined a little bit because of the um, cuts to, to the um, cuts in payment for Medicare. But the association and the membership has always responded back to keep the profession moving forward and um, to bring in new colleagues and, um, you know, to, let, to make you know, I, I get, they have, that's always grown. I mean, it's just, I'm sorry, I'm kind of figuring out a way to say this, but no matter what the challenge has been, the PTs have always met it and moved forward. So even like with the Balanced Budget Act, um, even though that presented a severe challenge for a lot of PT professionals, you still had more coming in and, and then, and, driving the profession forward. And you still had more coming in and joining to make sure they could get um, their, you know, their needs recognized with the Congress. So um, I think Sharon Dunoy says we're better together. And um, I think that definitely is the show is shown in the history of the profession. You see it, whether it's the 240 that started and, and pushed everything going ahead and to the 100,000 plus now, um, the profession meets the challenges of the day and they keep growing. We already talked about COVID and how they met that challenge. And that, that was a definite hardship for um, several of the members um, with cut hours and things like that. And not just the members, the other, other um, physical therapy professionals and, and the aides, for, I mean, the physical therapist assistants, you, you know, everybody, Everyone's had a big challenge in the last few years, but you see them coming back and you see them, you see them moving forward. You don't see them quitting the profession, do you? You see them, you know, they're still staying and they're, they want them to stay involved. So I'm, I'm rather pro, pro PT, if you can't tell. I, I didn't know a lot about physical therapy when I joined the organization, I joined the staff, but I've just been so impressed with the profession and, um, you know the the mission that you have and the how you, um, the PTs and the PTAs care about their patients. It's just 
it's amazing. I'm just, and I'm more impressed every time I say it, I think about it. So uh, you, you'll see that the challenges aren't going to go away and I'm sure there'll be something in a few more years that the profession will have to meet, but I don't see the, I don't see the profession closing down. I don't see the profession, the association shutting its doors. I just see that they'll be moving ahead. That's, that's the association and the profession's MO. Absolutely. Well, we are wrapping up here at an hour. And so we are going to have to finish our conversation here, but I'd love for everyone who's tuning in live or who's watching this on the replay to, to comment down below and let us know, where do you think the physical therapy profession is headed? Where do you imagine the next 100 years of APTA? We've talked a lot about the history of PTs, PTAs, APTA in general tonight. Um, and I think Jenny has done a fantastic job of just inspiring all of us on, on everything that Mary McMillan has done to develop this organization and this profession. And, you know, it's our job as students and early professionals to continue that momentum, to inspire others, to educate others and, and really advance the profession. So thank you everyone for joining us tonight for APTA Live Student Night. If you have any additional questions for Dr. Kelly Quigley or for Jenny, our APTA librarian, please let us know. Our Student Assembly Board of Directors will drop their contact information down below. So if you do need to get in contact with them, if you want to reach out about additional history for APTA or anything Centennial related, please do so. And thank you all again for joining us for APTA Live Student Night. APTA podcasts like this one are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.